0: Hi, this is Ben Lola back to the Bible Canada. In our final message this week, we continue the series, He Made Me Human. Dr. John Newfeld walks us through a message entitled, Finding Purpose in Our Sexuality. So let's begin now as we turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25.
1: Let's begin by reading our text. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know, Kathy and I have been married now for a lot of years. We like to say that we grew up together. I had just finished an assignment as a youth pastor in a church in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, and she was a young nursing student at the University of Saskatoon. We got married and both went off to university together. A nearby church hired me as a part-time youth pastor, and so we gave our evenings and weekends to serving the local church as best we could. Kathy graduated before me, and in the first year after graduation, our daughter Rachel was born. We packed up everything and moved to Southern California to begin seminary with one child, very few assets, no money, but a heart for ministry. You know, the first year in California was exceptionally hard as we tried to juggle Kathy's nursing job, which was the only source of income in my seminary and looking after our baby. But we soldiered on. You know, in order to make ends meet, I accepted a pastorate in a small church in Diamond Bar, California. Our second daughter, Sarah, was born there, and before we ever got back to my home province of BC, Kathy and I had been tested. We had walked through hardship, lack of finances, schooling, child raising, struggling to find time for each other, and a host of other issues. Our relationship had been tested, and many times we had to recommit ourselves to loving each other. And that love has grown. It has grown as both of us have realized that we, together, have a divine calling. She is my fellow soldier in the service of the gospel. We're no longer starry-eyed young lovers, but we are rather seasoned and tried old lovers. But we are lovers. And the crazy thing is, all of this almost never happened. Kathy and I met in Bible college, but we had simply been friends. I actually never considered her in any other fashion. It was not until years later, when mutual friends had both of us over for supper, that I remember staring at her and thinking, I think I could fall in love with her. And it was not until that revelation that I began to realize that I was really lonely. And in some way, I was incomplete. I'm so thankful for that dinner invitation. It surely changed my life. You know, if there's anything the text we've just read teaches us, it is that the life of a hermit is not a healthy life. Our text begins in an amazing way. God has created the world and everything in it. At the end of each day of creation, it says that God saw what he had made, and it was good. Of course it was good. God made it. But now, strangely enough, God looks at Adam by himself, and he says, this is definitely not good. In fact, this phrase is emphatic. God is saying that it is very bad. It is amazing that God would speak that way. He was the one who created Adam in his image and breathed his breath into him. And yet Adam lacks something. Adam was created for relationship with God, to be sure, and he has that. And yet apparently, relationship with God is not everything that Adam needs. Adam not only needs a vertical relationship, he needs a horizontal one. See, I think this is important for all of us to hear. It's not enough to have a relationship with God. See, I want to be careful how I say that because it does sound heretical, doesn't it? It sounds like I'm denying that Jesus is all that we need, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God intended human beings to be social beings. We were intended for relationship with others. Furthermore, marriage forms the basis for God's order of living. The entire count we've just read is leading to one conclusion— A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Marriage is the first and foremost of all human institutions. It's interesting to note that Statistics Canada points out that marriages in this country are down. Fewer and fewer Canadians are getting married. And that's due to a number of factors. For one, more and more people are delaying marriage until later in life. And that, of course, means we delay children and we delay interdependency with someone... In fact, I think we delay the development of some part of our makeup. Another factor is that more and more people are choosing to live together outside of marriage and are satisfying their sexual needs in a way that circumvents the manufacturer's instructions. Now, before I go on, let me say that single people are also called for relationship. The New Testament gives room for singleness— 1 Corinthians 7 tells us that singleness comes as a gift with the accompanying gift of celibacy. Paul said that he was one of those people. 1 Corinthians 7 also teaches us that singleness presents us with a special opportunity to be involved in ministry. In other words, single people are to use all the time that married people use in nurturing their marriages to giving themselves to the Lord's work. And in the context of a life which is virtually overflowing with ministry and good deeds for others, the need for companionship is met. But whenever we disconnect from relationship, we disconnect from what we need for healthy human living. So if you're single, God has called you to use that as an advantage for kingdom ministry. Give every last minute of your time to the work of God. Now, this need for relationship forms the basis for a healthy marriage. Genesis 2 tells an amazing story. Adam is given an initial task. God makes animals walk in front of him, and Adam is told to name them. You know, one commentator says, calling or naming presupposes acquaintance. I guess we might say Adam is called to get to know the animals God has made, learn their purpose, learn their relationship to himself, and also by getting to know them, he learns that he is Lord over them. And he has been given mastery over all the work of God's hands. Now, others point out that this understanding of the animal world is the beginning of the scientific enterprise, understanding and knowing and categorizing God's creation. But now comes a curious phrase in verse 20. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Adam came to understand several things. He would have noticed that the entire animal world was divided into pairs, male and female. He had no mate. Adam would also have noted something else. None of the animals could be his helper. I mean, think of it. He had been given a task to be governor over the work of God's hands. He had been given a task to fill the earth with offspring. He had been given a task to tend the garden, this place of holiness. And he comes to realize that he cannot carry out his task, for he is alone. And his loneliness becomes profound. He, an image bearer of God, is found incomplete. Bruce Waltke says that it is not good for a man to be alone, but the man does not know that it is not good to be alone. So God had to prepare for him the gift of the bride. Until Adam came to see his loneliness, his lack, and his inability, he would never appreciate Eve. And there's an important application here. See, I've met both men and women who do not appreciate his or her spouse because he or she does not understand that it is not good to be alone you think it would be fine if you were alone. You'd have more money and more time and more of everything if you were alone, so you crave to be alone. That is the result of sin. We should crave fellowship and relationship and love and sacrifice and caring and gentleness, all those virtues that can only be met with people. One of the great problems with our culture is our desire to be alone. I used to see a bumper sticker when we were in California. It said, welcome to California, now go home. And I've seen other bumper stickers that way. My dog is better trained than your child. I always think, I hope that dog visits you when you're old. You know, we complain about people. And all of this is destroying us because you and I were created for relationship. Until we come to understand that it is not good to be alone, we will not have good marriages. So God caused Adam to fall into a sleep, and he took out his rib and created a woman from it. Now, why a rib? Well, we're not actually told. Only from it, we learn that the woman shares in his substance, that is, she is taken out of him. And what follows is fascinating. God brings the woman to him. He has never seen another human being, and he's never seen a woman. And what we have then is the first and only ever recorded unfallen words from a human being.
0: Let's see what they are when we come back. In our day and age, more and more people are choosing the single life. fewer are choosing to embrace a lifelong commitment of marriage. What in fact we're seeing is a culture that has fundamentally rejected God's good design for marriage, the first human institution that he created. But thus far in our study, we reaffirm this reality that it is not good for us to be alone. Further, the relationship between Adam and Eve demonstrates to us what a godly marriage ought to look like. We'll discover more about that after this break. Every home depends on God's supply. Back to the Bible, Canada relies upon His supply through the faithfulness of our listeners. Thank you for your gifts that allow us to make new resources to help support you in your walk with Christ, as well as sustain our Bible teaching programs. Your support makes this ministry possible. Your generosity allows us to proclaim God's truth. Our families need it. If you wish to support us in a form of a donation, please visit backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or you may consider joining our 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program and have your contribution to this ministry recur on a monthly basis. To find out more about the 1119 Fellowship Monthly Partner Program and the exclusive benefits you unlock by joining, visit backtothebible.ca slash fellowship or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.
1: Verse 23 reads, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Essentially, Adam says, she's my equal. She shares in my essential humanity. Men and women are both equally human and both equally in the image of God. I say this because many cultures in the world look upon the woman as inferior. But the Bible denies this. Men, your wives are not your children. They are your equal. They are sharers with you in the gift of life. I think it to be one of the great spiritual revelations to realize that our wives are not somehow defective or inferior human beings. The very image of God is expressed in both male and female. But men and women have been given complementary roles. There's an old expression, God did not create Adam and Steve, he created Adam and Eve. And when you marry, you don't get a roommate. Women and men, although being equal, are called upon to function in a different role. They play a different but equal part in God's plan for their marriage. Our text indicates the man was created first and that the woman was taken out of him and served as his helper. Now, before you dismiss me as a hopeless bigot, hear me out. In the Bible, the helper role is not thought of as we do. We think in terms of a boss and his helper, a teacher and his helper, a scientist and his helper, or Santa and his little helpers. I mean, the helper is always defined as the one who is inferior or who simply exists to get the other person what they want. But that's not the biblical model. I want you to consider the following verse from Deuteronomy 33, verse 29. It says, Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield, and here's the word, and helper, and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you, and you will trample down their high places. See, Israel always understood that the reason they were successful over their enemies was because God was their helper. Without God, they would not accomplish their mission, and God is not subservient to Israel, nor does Israel dictate to God what Israel will do. Rather, Israel is given a mandate by God, yet they cannot carry it out if God were not their helper. Well, that's what happened to Adam. He was given a mandate by God, fill the earth, rule over the work of my hands. And Adam said, okay, but I'm incapable of this. And God says, very well, I'll make a helper, one who is exactly suitable to you, and she will assist you in accomplishing the mission to which I have called you. So you lead in the mission, and she helps you. So let's work that out practically. Men, God has called you to lead in your homes, to raise up godly children. God has called you to bear witness of his glory to the world. God has called you to carry out a ministry in which you serve God. You are his servant. Now, here's the problem. You're completely hopeless. I think you're never going to pull this stuff off. So God provided for a helper exactly suitable to you, one who is called to the very task that you were called to, and together you will accomplish this. The wife that you have is the one whom God assigned for you to carry out his ministry. You are called to be a team, not two individuals trying to work out your life goals while you try to get along with each other. See, I can't tell you how few Christian couples will identify their calling as a couple. See, how sad and often men who often cannot identify calling from God and yet demand their wife submit to them. I mean, notice the language in verse 20. She is a helper fit for him or suitable to him. I've often spoken with men who have concluded their wives are their enemies. They sense they want to do something. The wife says she doesn't agree. And instead of viewing her as his helper, he tears away at her and rages at her unwillingness to bend. Listen, the very reason why you struggle with your wife is because something is wrong. With perhaps both of your perspectives, but perhaps with yours. She is a helper exactly suitable to you. And women, hear me. Your husband was called upon to lead. Stop trying to lead him. Help him carry out what God has called him to do. Pray with him. Listen to his heart. And realize he will fail without you. Sometimes he'll make mistakes and fail, and you're going to disapprove. And sometimes he may fall into despair. But you must never lose your respect for him. For both of you must recognize your joint calling from God. And so God created man and woman, and he institutes marriage. We notice three things about marriage. First, marriage is a permanent commitment to love. Listen to the words of Jesus as he comments on this in Matthew 19, verses 3 to 6. Some Pharisees came to him and they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, the Creator made the male and female, and He said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Listen to me, husbands and wives. When you come down from the altar of marriage, you have been brought together by God. From the day you pronounce your wedding vows, your relationship to your spouse and your relationship to God are permanently tied together. Let me say it again. God brought you together. You say, well, I don't love him or her anymore. Well, tough. God brought you together. You cannot now walk with God without walking with that spouse. Second, marriage makes all other human commitments secondary. I want you to notice that verse 24 says a man will leave his father and mother. See, in the ancient world, a woman would leave her parents and come under the roof of her husband's family. She would then often come to be ruled by her in-laws. But this passage says that it is specifically the husband who was to break free from his family and hold to his wife. See, I often meet people, parents, family members, who take their family member's side in a dispute in marriage. See, that's just wrong. Mom and dad... If your kids are married, you have no right to meddle in their marriage. Stay out of it. Husbands and wives, don't you dare complain to your parents about your spouse. Don't you dare complain to your friends about your spouse. You are to leave every other human commitment and make the commitment of your spouse the leading priority. And third, a marriage should be a place of intimacy, vulnerability, and mutuality. Verse 25 is really a fascinating verse. Only before sin entered the world was nakedness not shameful. Later on, Adam and Eve will be deeply ashamed of their nakedness. All through the Bible, nakedness speaks of our vulnerability and our dependence upon someone else. Sin makes this weakness seem almost unbearable. See, interestingly enough, the Bible never invites us back to the nakedness that there was in the garden. We may have come from the garden and were naked, but sin has meant that nakedness always speaks about a full disclosure of our wickedness. The church of Laodicea sinned, and Jesus said that they were poor, blind, and he says, naked. Now, nakedness always speaks of being incomplete, exposed, and even condemned. But God will help Adam and Eve. He will provide them with clothing. And we're finally to stand before God in glory, instead of being presented before God naked, believers are promised that we will stand before God with the righteous robe of Christ. And what's that all got to do with marriage? Well, marriage is always about nakedness. So I, I don't just mean physical nakedness. I mean, there is that. I mean, vulnerability, because intimacy can only happen when we're vulnerable. Marriage is a rather frightening thing. You know, I can honestly say that before I got married, I thought that I was more spiritual than I presently think that I am. Turns out, I could hide my inadequacies and my inconsistencies and my failures. After all, I alone saw them and I was happy to excuse myself. But when Kathy and I got married and her clothing was hanging in my closet and we shared a house together and a bank account together and lived with each other, I found someone who saw my faults I could no longer hide. And we can either use that to destroy each other or to safeguard and love each other and pour out grace and forgiveness and acceptance. And it is only in the relationship of acceptance in grace that we actually find how desperately we need each other. It is
0: not good to be alone. John, this has been a, an interesting message, but a difficult one at the same time, because I know there's people out there, and, and I have relatives in the same place, that whose spouse isn't necessarily a Christian. And how do they deal with all of this?
1: Yeah, and there are so many uh, subcategories of marriage that I haven't spoken to. What I have done here today is I've talked about the ideal as God has created it. Um, there's so much brokenness. There's lack of an ideal. I mean, you mentioned someone uh, married to an unbeliever. I mean, what do we do when there's adultery in the home or violence in the home? There are so many places where marriage has encountered brokenness, and I've actually addressed none of those in this message. I think that's for a different message. This one is simply to state the ideal that God has, because if we never state the ideal— we will never know what God intended our marriage to. We'll only deal with our individual brokenness. Uh, God has provided for us something that we should look at and aim towards and hope for and pray about. Um, And, uh, you know, down the road we'll have another time to talk about some of the the difficult sides of marriage as well.
0: Today, whether you're married, engaged, or single, hopefully this message has spoken to you in unique ways. I pray that we would learn to recognize the God-given purpose of relationships and our sexuality. Well, this is the final message this week in our series, He Made Me Human. But be sure to listen next week as Dr. Neufeld will walk us through chapter 3 in Genesis. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. What makes a family? Family is a bond of body, heart, mind, and soul. And one way to nurture spiritual growth with our families is to share in a time of devotion. Homes are helped by a time and place to talk about the things of God. Family devotions may seem daunting, but help is on the way. This month, Laugh Again with Phil Calloway will release a new family devotional, Four Minutes for Frazzled Families. It's a 31-day devotional guide for parents or grandparents looking to provide spiritual leadership in their homes and for their families. Back to the Bible Canada believes these times of sharing together are critical for the spiritual growth of the family. So visit backtothebible.ca or give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 to request 4 Minutes for Frazzled Families. And we'll send you and your family this helpful tool for free.